Welcome to Rave Dad's Diary, the summer edition. I'm your host and resident Rave Dad, Paul Brooks. Rave Dad's Diary explores the globalization of electronic dance music from the perspective of a rural Alberta boy turned raver. This show is produced on Treaty 7 land for CJSW 90.9 FM. Rave Dad's Diary, the summer edition, features rebroadcasts of fan-favorite episodes from Season 1, as well as some special guests and features from my favorite journalists and podcast hosts. Listen to Season 1 of Rave Dad's Diary on demand via Apple Podcasts and CJSW.com. Today, you'll hear a rebroadcast of my conversation with producer So Divine. Follow So Divine on SoundCloud to hear his music and check out his Instagram for entertaining music tutorials and content. At So Divine. That's S O D H I V I N E. You're taking a program. Uh, and w- one of the classes you were in was on design and uh, focusing on luxury brands. Tell me about that. That's right. So I was taking a class called the Anthropology of Luxury Brands. And what we were doing is we were actually studying the human psychology slash evolutionary aspects to luxury brands. Uh, it's interesting because technically a Louis Vuitton bag has the same utility as a bag from Walmart. Like it'll carry the same amount of items, but it's priced, you know, a hundred times more and people pay. So I really wanted to understand the psychology behind that. And then also how that applies to music, because music is also very psychological. And it was, it was, uh, we learned quite a bit. And I think I know myself a bit better through, (laughs) through that experience. Not that I'm into luxury brands, but just human motivations. Well, I want to talk about your work as a production and kind of tie it to this this other area of, of interest here. You're you're an incredible producer, and so what what do your current studies have to do with your musical career and aspirations? I love that question. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the great music producers, I think Quincy Jones, might have said this, uh, but he said that. You know, music is like 70% soul, 30% skill, something like that. And to me, that soul piece comes from how you come across in music and how you are perceived by people that listen to you. It's not just your sonic recording. It's, it's you as a complete person, as a package, as a brand. With my current studies with the MBA and also the luxury brand stuff, I think I've gotten more of an empirical insight into that 70%, into that soul piece, uh, into that how do you come across and how are you in relation to everything else in the industry. So getting that insight on how marketing actually works, how branding works, the psychological aspects of all these things, I think translates directly to music. Like many artists, your music seems to be more popular in places that you don't currently live. Uh, where does your music get listened to the most currently? 
So my music right now, it's interesting because I put out an EP late last year and I got picked up by a couple Spotify playlists in India. And suddenly my followership in India went way up. So right now, that's India. People in India have been listening to my stuff way more than anywhere else around the world. It's an interesting, strange experience, you know. Uh, it, it just feels cool to be heard by people that, you know, on the other side of the planet. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, it, is it like, is it kind of uh, like, is it only that feeling or is there also kind of a feeling of like, well, if I can get a track in rotation in India... How do I get that same sort of attention in in a North American audience? Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I mean, I'm from Canada, of course. And so for me, Canada is home. So when I think, yeah, people are listening to me in India, it's almost like uh, it's not it's not like physically real for me yet in Canada. So it makes me want to push further. It makes me want to push harder. But it also gives me some insights into how to push further and how to push harder. Here's something that worked in India. Can I bring it back here? And then that's where you get into that 70% soul piece where it's like, we've got the music. How's it coming across? Where is it coming across? And how can we enhance that to get to our audience and get them to actually buy in or follow? (laughs) Let's listen to a track. Can you set one up for us? All right. Let's listen to Mokabala which is one of the tracks is the leading track from my last EP future Bollywood trap sounds. And it's got a sample from, uh, AR Rahman from the nineties. Who's this legendary Bollywood composer. This is like, you know, top of the charts kind of track when it came out in the nineties, thought I'd bring it back and I thought I'd spice it up. So let's have a listen.
You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary, and my guest today is Nanak Sodi. That's right. How you doing? I'm good. You know, it's it's cool to be back in CJSW Studios uh, after a year and a half. Yeah, no doubt. You were uh, you've you've been a host on CJSW, and you've been a volunteer with the station for for some time. Um, but most recently, you were uh, a host on Desi Vibes. Um, That's right. Which uh, is unfortunately not not programming at the moment. But uh, what do you remember about uh, your experience? You know, coming into the station and, and uh, programming that show. I just was uh, overwhelmed by the amount of love and affinity everyone at CJSW has with each other and with the community. It's unreal. I think CJSW is incredibly special. And when I went to when I moved to Kingston, Ontario to do grad school at Queens, I was while I was volunteering at their local um, radio before it shut down due to COVID. And as soon as I mentioned I'm from CJSW, they were like, oh, my God, you're from CJSW. That's like that's like royalty in community (laughs) radio. (laughs) You had clout from CJSW. Absolutely. Yeah. And even Desi Vibes, that that show had been on air since like 1998 or something like that. You know, super long running and just being a part of that legacy, being a part of that narrative was amazing. Tell me about the piece of music that we we just listened to. What what are the musical influences that are in that track? So this track um, is from Bollywood. So it's from mainstream Bollywood. This is not... uh, the sample for this track, sorry. The sample for this track is from mainstream Bollywood. It's not Indian classical. It's not traditional music. It's mainstream Bollywood music from the 90s. And it reflected um, a lot of cultural elements in Bollywood from the 90s. A.R. Rahman, the composer for this track, really pioneered digital music. And he was one of the first composers in, to come onto the scene uh, with like full DAW, like digital DAWs and things like that. Um, for for those who, list, who are listening, a DAW is basically the program that's used to integrate all the sounds in a composition. And he was doing it completely digitally. And he really led the pack for innovation in Bollywood. So this particular track is from one of his earlier works. And it's got, you know, some background elements to it that are Indian. It's got like that iconic chant that, that, you know, is being sung in an Indian way. And it's got like those claps. It feels like a, it feels like very much like a organic uh, world music sound. Is, is sampling something that uh, is, uh, you know, a, a, a common device in, in, uh, Indian popular music currently like is it similar to like when uh you know we you like might sample a track and you're showing like your respects is it kind of like perceived in a similar way or is what you're doing uh you know uh, kind of uh co- controversial how, how is sampling viewed well right now in Bollywood definitely sampling or not just sampling just remixing in general is very much in style almost like too much in style where everyone seems to be doing it um back when i made this record late last year i think that was a time where a lot of sampling and remixing was happening 
But traditionally, sampling has not been a big part of Bollywood music. However, uh, adapting existing works from all around the world and bringing them to the Indian audience has been a very big thing. Like, even if you look at the 80s, um, one of the best-selling records in in India, actually the, one of the best-selling records ever, was called Disco Disco Divani, which was um, the music producer's name Bidu. It was his attempt to bring disco to India back when disco was happening, uh, and that ended up exploding to be one of the best-selling albums of actually of all time, and so. I think the Indian audience has an appetite for adaptation, for sampling, for bringing new styles um, and mixing with their own. It's kind of like um, <laughs> it's kind of like blending all these different tastes makes it taste better. Yeah, you know i I don't know much about dance music. Um, you know, out, outside of the like main uh areas of north america and and europe so can you tell me a little bit more about the sounds uh of of the artists and like the the palette of sounds that they're that they're using um currently absolutely right now if we're looking at if we're talking about bollywood bollywood music has almost always been very dance centric that being said the role of a song is not just a song in bollywood it actually needs to play a part in a film it has to play a part in a narrative and the tracks need to be choreographable for the film right so it's a it's a need yeah if it's a dancey track it's going to look impressive on the screen so back you know, since I want to say the 60s, 50s, like early Bollywood, you know, India got independence in 1947. So we're, we're talking like very, very early film in India. Dance has played a huge role. You know, there's Indian classical dances um, that have been going back hundreds, if not thousands of years. So it's a really big part of Indian culture. And traditionally, uh, if you look at Indian classical instruments, they're not very um, overwhelming in their in their loud rhythm capacity, right? Like we're, we can't really compare a tabla to like uh, large drum percussion. So typically, dance has happened through melodies and and different um, you know softer rhythms. But now, moving into the modern era. Dance in India has become a lot harder sounding. It's become a lot more, you know, progressive in its nature and its arrangement. Um, it's it's really interesting because the scene for world dance music is always a reflection of two different narratives. It's the reflection of their traditional narrative, you know, Indian classical or any country that you're in, and then it combines that narrative with dance music narrative, like. North American, European dance music. So you'll see this huge, interesting combination of these two narratives coming together and uh, creating something that neither parties have ever heard before. And, and that's exciting. You seem to be really, yeah, excited about like cross-cultural uh, pollination in, in dance music. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's for me, like I love North American European dance music. I grew up listening to it. But then I also grew up listening to, you know, that those Bollywood cassette tapes on road trips, right? Where there's no there's no drum machine. There's no synthesizer sometimes. It's just Bollywood melodies and bringing those two together, I think opens an arena where those two cultures can have a conversation and create something that's like symbiotic um, without using fancy words. It just creates cool music you can dance to and with a different flavor. Let's listen to another track of yours. Uh, set, set up a track for us. So let's have a listen to this track. It's called Triple Undercover. It is featuring one of my great friends, Raginder, who is an Indian classical violinist. And this track, you can actually hear the two cultures having a conversation with the Western culture. That's how the track starts off. And then you see this violin, Indian classical melody coming in on the chorus. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Taking you and me I'll be going down tonight 
You're listening to Rape Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. That track, uh, Triple Undercover, uh, is that name a reference to something? What is that? That's funny you ask. Um, Triple Undercover, I actually don't even remember how that came about. But it was a bunch of my friends hanging out and we were, I think we we just watched like a spy movie or something like where you had to go undercover. I, I know that sounds like something i just made up right now but i i'm pretty sure that <laughs> that was the case and we just got in the studio i had an idea started writing i and that's what happened <laughs> i like it i like the name and it's a great track you recently licensed some music to bell media tell me about that experience absolutely yeah so right now um, I am writing music for Bell Media, so that's TSN and CTV. My background is actually in film score and writing for picture. So I've written scores for over 14 films, um, you know, over 10 years. So I've got a lot of experience just writing music that is not to be heard kind of by itself. Uh, it's supposed mm-hmm. to play a supporting role for, for a narrative. And recently I decided to bring that to television and I signed a deal to write music for Bell Media TV. It's been amazing so far. Uh, Writing music for TSN has been cool because I grew up watching like TSN Sports Center. I grew up watching the top tens and I'm, uh, it just gets me excited. Yeah, I'm writing, I could be writing music for the next top 10 reel. Although, (laughs) <laughs> I don't know where it's going to end up, but it's cool. That is really cool. Uh, you know, because like being able to uh, perform live right now or, or DJ in front of an audience, um, you know, we, we're still not clear on when that might be an opportunity. But uh, what, what does it feel like when you get your music, you know, synchronized uh, to use a, a music industry term? in a film uh what what does that feel like when you see your uh you know your your creative vision uh jiving with something you see on a screen well firstly it's incredibly legitimizing for sure um with film tv or film the one thing that a composer really needs to look at is the director's vision the director is the quarterback on this team and you really need to align with them and make sure that their vision comes to screen how they would like it to. 
And in that translation process, the composer is kind of the translator, but in that translation adds their own fingerprints to the final piece. So it, I always feel honored that, you know, someone has allowed me to, to have my fingerprints on their vision and trusted me with their vision on that. It's very fun, very challenging, uh, very emotionally exhausting sometimes because you're trying to induce an emotion into a sound well the only way you can do that is if you feel that emotion while you're creating the sound so and it's a very like um almost like a like a different kind of creative process that allows you Mm. to express differently yeah that's interesting i didn't you know, I didn't necessarily think about the uh, the emotional labor that would go into it. But, I mean, if it's like an intense scene or an intense uh, topic that you're covering, uh, yeah, you probably take on some of those emotions in, in that creative process. Absolutely. Like, the, the music is what sets the tone. If you think about any, um, you know, connecting this back to dance music or connecting this back to Bollywood or world music or just film music in general, if you've got a very serious scene on, on, on picture and you put funny music, well, suddenly it's funny, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or if you put have some really funny thing happen and you put serious music, suddenly it's sad. So the composer really needs to have a high level of um, sensitivity to emotions and understanding of the characters. Again, it's, it's like a different way of expressing yourself musically. And I, that's how I started making music. And so it feels good to be able to keep doing that. How have the, how, how has the, the pandemic and the, uh, what it's done to the music industry influenced your thoughts and goals about working in music? I love that question. I think it's it's interesting because while I was uh, this past year when the pandemic you know happened, I was in grad school. I was doing my MBA. I was learning about business. I was learning about strategy. And during that time, the pandemic happens, and it makes everyone in every industry question things that are going on. However, with music it really made me ask the question, what is the purpose of music? Why has music existed? What's the function? What's the quote unquote product in music? And what I, you know, what I could come to was that music was, um, was a way that you could put emotion onto time. You know, art is how you can put emotion onto a physical, you know, painting or a sculpture, right? Music is how you can put emotion onto time itself. Mm. And the only way you do that is by performing music. You either perform it live or you perform it via recording. And the live aspect was gone, (laughs) right? Nobody's performing live. People aren't even gathering anymore. So I had to think, what arenas is music being performed in and how is it being consumed? 
and that changed my perspective on how I'm approaching music. And it changed it to the side of, I need to be perform even as a producer, I need to be performing in an arena that's compatible. And right now, it seems to be that's online. That seems to be on social media and seems to be on, you know, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, Twitch. You know, there's so many different ways that music can be performed. And it's it's fundamentally shifted the industry, I think, for the better. Because when live music duck up, you're going to have, hopefully, a generation of musicians that are more uh, adapted to uh, performing online, whether that's in on Instagram or live. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so you don't think that uh, the the online elements are going anywhere? I mean, I've seen my music blow up in India through online means. I did not have any presence in India before that in the sense of marketing at all. Yet, you know, I this market just emerged for me. I can only see that amplifying. And mm. I, I can only see that creating more options for musicians. You know, if I transport myself back to 1975, if you're a musician, you really only performed live or you convinced a company to pay for your recording and distribution, a record company, right? Those are the only really two options you had. In today's day, we've got those two options and we've got this musician entrepreneurship option that's really fueled through this online medium. So I don't, I don't really see online going away. I think it's only going to get better for musicians and for listeners. Let's listen to another one of your tracks. What are we going to listen to now? So this track is called Sun, and it's featuring one of my great friends, Celsi, Calgarian, uh, and two of my other friends on production, Kalaj and Fu Manchu, uh, the wizard himself. <laughs> we have a little production crew here, and we... Uh, well, before the pandemic, we used to gather every Sunday and we had this um, thing called Studio Sundays. And basically, we'd all gather at uh, the Wizard Palace, which is a studio. Uh, my friend Kevin, who graciously lent us his space so that we were, you know, creating there, gathering. And this is one of the tracks that just kind of, you know, I had this, uh, well, not just me, all three of us kind of reviving. Uh, we recorded something with Celsi there. Then I took it away and I worked on it over the year in Kingston. And I changed a bunch of it, changed the arrangement, and voila, this is the final piece. Uh, it's called Sun featuring Celsi. Check it out.
take you out right I wanna take you for a long drive For me, I wanna show you all the right sides You know I always got that right vibe for me So maybe let go of the old things Sweet and nice, I got that whole thing For me, I wanna share it all with you listening to Rape Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. My guest today is Nanak Sodi, and we're talking about music, and it's just such a pleasure to see your face over Zoom. Welcome to Rape Dad's Diary. Thanks so much, Paul. You know, it's funny. Um, I think around, I want to say more than five years ago, before I did CJSW radio, before all this stuff, I was driving home and I heard your old show, the 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 super old show that you had on. I think it was techno. I, I, I forget. Was it a morning show or an evening show? I think it was an evening show. What will the neighbors think? Like yes, yes. On on a Friday. That was the show, and I remember hearing that in my car, and you know, you said you could email me, blah blah blah, and I think I emailed you like six or seven years ago. And recently I found that I found this, the book that, uh, I wrote your email down and I was like, huh, I've got Paul on my radar since before all this stuff. <laughs> Full circle moment. That's Crazy. so good to hear. Crazy. It's a small world. You know, the, the Calgary's music community is, is, uh, small, but I mean, Canada's music community is small and, uh, it's 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 nice. I like it that way. Yeah, it's small in like a good way. It's yeah. It's not small in like a, there's nothing to do way. It's more like I mean, that's it, my favorite thing about I think dance music in general is you can um, quite often reach out to somebody and just sh- say that you share an interest in that same thing and it can spark up a really cool conversation and uh, uh so uh yeah that's uh, I, I love hearing stories like that or people who like listen to the show back in the day or we had some sort of interaction and you know uh that's great because it all i mean it, what goes around comes around and here we are talking on cjsw today that's right for the last few minutes of the show here i want to talk to you about dance music and i want to get you to look into your crystal ball and uh just tell me about your thoughts about dance music mo- moving forward um mm-hmm. y- you uh 
are just so keenly uh, aware of dance music because you're a producer and a consumer of it. But tell me about how you see the trends changing in the way dance music sounds and, and where you think it's going. Oh man, that is a, that's a big question. I, I think, well, if we look historically how dance music evolved, how it's changed, um, you look at like the giants of dance music, like Nile Rogers, you know, Bernard Edwards, um, you know, even borrowing from like soul records, like James Brown, like there's so many influences that come into dance music. But traditionally in the past, dance music had been very rhythm heavy. It had been very, um, you know, in certain instances, melodic. You look at, you know, ABBA could be considered, you know, dance music. And totally. if you look at those melodies, the reason they were able to penetrate the market the way they did is because they sounded great on really any speaker system that you played them on. Right. You, you play Dancing Queen on even your iPhone and it's and it gets to you. Right. That changed with EDM because we had these amazing speaker systems everywhere, you know, in our homes, in our cars. Uh, we had high fidelity sound and we had the medium to play that. We had, you know, MP3s. We had our iPhones. We had amazing headphones. And lastly, we had huge concerts with giant speakers and when you see edm festivals like tomorrowland you see this like wall of subwoofers and just huge bass and the power of that music coming through and music evolved to to cater to that you know dance edm dance music super bass heavy and what's happened now with the pandemic well, nobody's going to concerts and nobody has a giant uh, wall of subwoofers at home. Hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I see it coming a little bit back towards that m melodious, um, lyric, lyric heavy uh, dance music. You know, I'd love mm. to see something similar to ABBA, similar to, you know, Good Times by Chic. That kind of music that doesn't have to rely on that kick drum driving you it can rely on amazing lyrics amazing melodies i think personally that's what's going to come back and maybe even some um cultural content coming in hopefully through europe um through asia and well north america of course the uh the final integrator for all these <laughs> all these tastes you know you are so knowledgeable like when i hear you talk ab about uh many uh eras of dance music i'm wondering what era is the most influential on you personally oh man um you know lately it has been more like disco music in the sense of you know as we talked about chic you know even uh even before that but i think Growing up, we used to listen to, or not by we, I mean like my family had recordings of. It's not that we were going and purchasing these specifically. We just happened to have them. A lot of 90s, um, 90s techno music almost, like 
not even techno, like Fatboy Slim, that mm. kind of stuff, you know, like, uh, I, I, I can still, I can still hear like that right here, right now, right here, right? Like I just, <laughs> Chemical Brothers. Yeah. Like Chemical yeah. Brothers. Like I just love that stuff. I think that era, that era that, you know, had that electronic element to it, but then also had the instrumental element to it. I think that kind of laid the foundations for me as a producer that I've then built upon, you know, even when I started to produce music, I produced music fully in software. I didn't start on like, you know, violin lessons for 10 years and then starts making music. No, for me, it was GarageBand was my instrument the first year I started playing music in grade eight. And then in grade nine, I became a drummer in the in the high school band. Right. So I think Chemical Brothers, Fatboy Slim, like those guys were who I looked up to when I was younger. I, I, I want you to leave us today on your opinion about what the most important ingredient in dance music is. What do you think is the most important ingredient? What's the most secret of the secret sauces that will make a track bang oh man um heavy questions today huh paul this one (laughs) (laughs) i think i think no pressure (laughs) you know this is the question that every producer thinks and wonders about and constantly is analyzing for me it really comes down to three main elements and i know you mentioned one ingredient um and I'll tell you what I think is the most important one as well. But the three main elements that I think contribute to a track being a dance, you know, dance number are groove. The track's got a groove and that's really the percussion and the bass. Those two have to be kicking. Uh, the groove, the some kind of emotional content. So it's like melody, lyrics, uh, things like that, that provide that emotion And lastly, relatability and how current it is. How does it fit into the times? Mm. And I think out of those three things, you know, the only thing that hasn't really changed, and I guess the only thing that can like, I guess, stand alone to make you dance is groove. (laughs) Like you could just play a drum circle and people would dance, you know? That is evidence enough. So groove, I would say. The most important ingredient in dance music. (laughs) Groove is in the heart, as they say. That's right. (laughs) I've really enjoyed speaking with you today and having you walk us through some of your music. I'm a big fan. Thank you, Nanak, for speaking with me. Thanks so much, Paul. I am very honored to be on this. Um, Really appreciate it. And I'm, um, I love this hour that we had. <laughs> awesome. Well, I will have you back uh, soon. And please stay in touch with your musical plans. Sounds great. Take care.
Listening to Rave Dad's Diary, the summer edition. Rave Dad's Diary is written, produced, and hosted by Paul Brooks for CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. Listen to season one of Rave Dad's Diary on demand via Apple Podcasts and CJSW.com. Rave Dad's Diary will return with new episodes in September. Stay tuned.
AYA and uh, I'm from Syria. My instrument is Oud. It's difficult to pronounce it in English. Oud with the Ain. <laughs> but uh, the, we spell it like O-U-D. It's uh, an Eastern instrument. Uh, it's 10,000 years old. It has uh, six strings. Each one is double. It has uh, a deep box and uh, hand. It's, it looks like the guitar uh, there is in common or uh, yeah you know uh, because of the situation in Syria we we wanted our better future actually uh, my city was kind of safe but my husband uh, wasn't able to to enter to Syria because they wanted him to to join to the army so he was he lived in Lebanon and I I couldn't follow him because of Lebanon was difficult for its own citizens, even for its own citizens. So I couldn't I couldn't follow him, and I just waited for a chance to live alongside each other. So when we heard about Canada accept Syrians and want to actually it opened its doors for people who who couldn't survive in their countries so it just accepted us in 20 days and uh, it was very fast time to to collect your suitcases and to finish your your life Mm. and start a new one here we are lucky because it's a better country and uh, we have a chance to have a better future and uh, for our education and our careers for for this song i i tried to sing about love story uh this is my uh, my only experience to sing this kind of uh, of music because uh, you know i used to to play about the cries and about the war and about many different uh, things related to the situation in Syria. So this one was, uh, was a new experience about a love story. Oh, <laughs> 
I started singing uh, after the crisis in Syria, actually because of the war. I sang for the the moms who lost their children in the war. So it was the beginning. And uh, after that, I discovered my talent. So I uh, I kept singing for, for the same reason, but in different styles or different... Uh, ideas i i sang for the the people who left syria and uh, i sang for the hope and uh, very uh, and different uh, humanity reasons or human reasons our our city uh, very rich uh, with traditional song or in traditional song and i think it's uh, one of the best traditional music in the Middle East. So I think we raised up with the, with this kind of music. So just I pick up from the society and from my friends and uh, uh, you know that old people they they save this kind of music and just I asked them many times and uh, they they gave me they gave me this uh, this song mm. yeah it's very popular and familiar and people uh, love like it mm. like this music yeah mm. there are many difference of dancing but the traditional dance uh, called loha and uh, there's debki i don't know if you know debki it's um, we we make it with a group of people and just we we make steps and uh, like circle we go around something <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but you know i miss syria mm-hmm. and i miss the last country but now i didn't miss it because uh, it's like a miserable but uh, i la- i i miss the last one for for now uh, because um i have my little daughter she's grounded me here mm. So uh, yeah it's a, it's a great challenge and a great experience to to live together here in Canada Yo, 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 don't touch that dial. You're listening to CGSW on 90.9 FM, broadcasting on the Calgary Airwaves, home to Treaty 7 and Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Stay tuned.